You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. All right, take your Bible, turn with Jonah tonight, please. Jonah, chapter number one. What a good song. That's a true thing, by the way. You know, the longer you drive a car, the more wear and tear on the car. It begins to break down. Same thing's true with clothing. The more you wear your clothing, they begin to break down. Even food, after a while, you might get tired of the same meal that you liked at first. Over and over again, it gets old. But not Jesus. He gets sweeter. The more you figure out about him, the more you learn of him, the more you spend time in his presence, the more beautiful he becomes. Unlike other people and other things, Jesus gets sweeter every single day. I hope you've had a great week so far and looking forward to what God wants to speak to our heart about tonight. In the book of Jonah, Jonah is a fish story, I guess you could say. And not in the sense of many of our fish stories where the fish gets bigger every time we tell the story. It's a true account. But uh, I believe it with all my heart. I hope you do as well. Many critics have criticized the book of Jonah. And they'll look at it from the natural standpoint and say, how in the world could a whale swallow a man? I'd believe it if it said Jonah swallowed the whale. Amen. God's big enough to do that, isn't he? Our God can do anything, anything but fail. And so we're going to look at this tonight in Jonah chapter number 1. We've been talking about the presence of God. And we've talked about the fact that God's omnipresent. That means He's everywhere. Everywhere you go, God's already there. And we talked about how God, when He is present, when He manifests His presence, it's a searching thing. It brings conviction when you're in the presence of God. We talked about the fact that God's presence is a, a sweet thing as far as it protects us in the time of trouble. The last time that I was here on Wednesday night, we talked about how God is a present, very present help in the time of trouble. But tonight I want us to think on this thought, the spurned presence of God. Spurned. You see, what does that word mean? That means to despise, to reject, to try to distance yourself from something. Now, you'd probably think, well, we don't need to talk about that because nobody would ever want to distance themselves from the presence of God. But can I say that probably happens in all of our life more often than we want to confess in front of a crowd. I thought about that in this area in which we live that is so consumed with money and so consumed with their appearance and so consumed with trend and things of that nature. Wouldn't it be good if we just had a group of people consumed with staying in the presence of God? I mean, just being wrapped up in God's presence. I mean, just being sure that we can keep ourselves right so that we can abide in Him like He asks us to in the book of John. Wouldn't that just be a trend-setting thing, a transcendent thing, if we would just dwell in His presence? I don't want to miss out on God. Let's think on this tonight. Look with me in your Bible. Jonah chapter number 1. I'd like to read the entire chapter. Uh, I probably have time to, but I won't. I'll read the first three verses, and I know you're familiar with the story. And if you're not familiar with it, ask your young people on the way home because they probably know it. Jonah chapter number 1. Lincoln goes around the house singing the the song, Jonah, Jonah. I'm not going to sing it. That would ruin the service, wouldn't it? Chapter number 1, verse number 1. Look what it says. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the son of Amittai, saying... Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. For their wickedness has come up before me. By the way, that's a picture, isn't it, of the long-suffering and mercy of God. That God, even though that city was given to such sin, would send a preacher, a missionary, really, their direction. Verse 3, But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish, So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Again, in verse number 10, 
that statement is made, it says at the end of the verse, you'll see this, for the men, talking about the sailors on board the ship with Jonah, for the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord. Now, I can understand somebody wanting to run to it. And I can understand somebody trying to fight to stay in it. But you've got to get in a bad place as a believer to ever get to the point where you want to run from God's presence. I want you to think with me on this tonight, the spurned presence of God. Let's pray quickly. Lord, I pray for your power, and I pray you'd help us to see this truth from your word tonight. And I pray for liberty to preach in Jesus' name. Amen. The word spurn means to treat or reject with scorn and contempt. So to spurn something means to despise it. To spurn something means to dismiss it. To spurn something means to disregard it or try to distance yourself from it. Tonight for this message, I want us to consider a subject that when I thought about it, it seems so outrageous that we wouldn't need to preach on it. But I'll say it again, if we were going to be honest tonight, all of us have probably been there at some point in our life. The prodigal son did this. Peter backslid and went fishing, you know the story, and he did this. Of course, in our text we'll find Jonah did this. So tonight I want us to consider the spurned presence of God. Have you ever been in a storm before? I'm not talking about just like a shower, but I mean a severe storm. Have you ever sat in your house as the wind began to howl around it on the outside? Have you ever driven down the highway? I've done it many times when I used to travel all the time. Drive down the highway and the rain fell heavy as stones and fast as bullets down on the windshield of the car. You couldn't even see because of the driving rain. Have you ever been in a storm and washed off in the distance as dark clouds began to gather on the horizon and they slowly began to make their way towards you and they moved closer and closer? If you've ever been in that kind of a storm, it's a very unsettling thing, it's a very scary thing, and it's something that's totally beyond your control when you're caught in the midst of a storm kind of like that. I remember growing up in West Virginia, everybody has a front porch there and you could see storms coming from a long way. And we'd sit out there, especially in the summertime, storms would just roll in and then they'd roll out because of humidity. And we'd sit there on the porch and we'd watch off in the distance and you could see those dark clouds begin to kind of gather. And then you could see lightning flashing off in the distance and you'd feel the cold breeze begin to blow from that storm. And literally, if you've ever seen it, you know what I'm saying, you could see a wall of rain and it would march over the hills and down through the valleys and it would come towards you. As you're sitting there watching a storm approaching, it's a very nerve-wracking thing because you know you're about to get wrapped in something that is totally beyond your ability to control. The story of Jonah starts in chapter 1 with a very stormy chapter. This storm is not due to the atmospheric conditions, but it's due to the poor choice of one of God's prophets. I want you to use your imagination with me this evening. Try to see Jonah. Jonah is not in a house. Jonah's not driving down a highway in a car. Jonah's not sitting on the front porch. He's not on even solid ground, but Jonah is in the midst of the sea in the bottom of a ship that is caught in this storm. He's on a boat that is bound for a city called Tarshish. The boat becomes wrapped in billowing waves. It's driven by the wind, and the situation carries with it the threat of destruction. Everything about the scene is that of danger, that of fear, that of overwhelming trouble. Consider in the storm, there's stress. In the storm, there's worry. In this storm, there is anxiety. In this storm is the realization that what you're caught in is bigger than you and it could take your very life. I don't doubt the skies were black. 
I don't doubt that the seas rolled and were very angry. In fact, the word when it says that God sent a storm, it's as though God cast a javelin at Jonah. I can see it in my mind as the sun is hidden behind the dark canopy of the clouds. On board that boat is Jonah and then several lost men. These lost men are sailors. They've been on a ship before and they've been at sea before and they've been in a storm before. But these men have never been caught in anything quite like this. If you read chapter 1, take the time to study it out, you'll find they do everything they can do. They use all of their nautical knowledge to try to keep their boat above water. They cast out the tackling. They row hard against the tempest. They begin to get out their little idols and they pray to their dead gods. And while all of that is happening, the story tells us Jonah is fast asleep in the bottom of the boat. Now, let me say this parenthetically. It's a bad place to be when you're backslidden and you are so cold toward God that you can nap through the circumstance that God sent into your life to wake you up and draw you back to Him. You might be there tonight. There might be something happening in your life right now, and it's to get your attention and to bring you back in the will of God. What a sad place to be when you can sleep through God's hand in your life. These sailors are exhausted. They've tried everything they can do. They've got no other recourse but to wake up the man who's asleep in the bottom of the vessel, cast lots, and try to figure out what in the world is going on. I can hear them as they wake up Jonah. Jonah, wake up, Jonah. How can you sleep, Jonah? Don't you know that we're caught in the storm, the, the ship's about to sink, and we want to find out why? The Bible said they cast lots. That's sort of like rolling the dice. They cast the, do, uh, the, the, they cast the lots, and the lot falls on Jonah. That's God's way of showing them that all of this mess that they're in is caused by this man named Jonah. In verse number 8, they begin to interrogate Jonah. They ask him some questions. They say, Jonah, where are you from? Jonah, what's your occupation? What's your station in life? They have no idea who he is. Jonah responds in the following verse, and he tells them, he said, I'm a Hebrew. What's he saying? He said, I'm a child of God. He said, I have all the privileges and blessings of being in the family of God. In fact, I'm a preacher. I'm in business with God, and my God is the true God of heaven. He's the God that made the dry land and the God that made the sea. Now, you can imagine, if you're on board that boat, you'd be a little bit sideways with that sleeping preacher whenever he came clean and said, I ought to be serving God. I I know God. He's my God. He made the dry land. He made the sea. And even those lost sailors had enough sense to understand that if God made the sea, he probably made the storm that they were caught in there on the sea. Now in verse number 10, we'll see it. They looked at Jonah and they asked a very convicting question. Look what it says. Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, now watch this. Why hast thou done this? He said, why have you done this? Why have you gotten us in this mess? Why have you done this? Now, the this that they're referring to is in the next phrase. Look what it says. Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of of the Lord. Here's what they're asking him. They're saying, Jonah, if your God is really who you say he is, why would you want to run from him? If your God is as powerful as you just said that he is, why would you want to flee from his presence? If your God made the dry land and made the sea, why would you want to get away from that God? The answer to all their stress and all their anxiety and all the trouble that they're wrapped up in is that Jonah had spurned or rejected the presence of God. 
Now think about it tonight. There is no greater blessing in this life than to live your life anchored in the depths of God's obvious presence. In John 15 and verse 4, Jesus gave us the command, not just a suggestion. He said, abide in me. Now stay with me as I labor this just for a minute. In God's presence, there is perfect peace. In God's presence, there is fullness of joy. In God's presence, there is fulfillment. In God's presence, there is love that can cast out fear. In God's presence, there is comfort. In God's presence, there is power. In God's presence, there is vision. In God's presence, there is glory. That's why I think Sarah Adams in the 1800s penned that hymn that says, Nearer my God to thee, because anybody who's been there wants to get closer, as close as they can get to God. You don't find disappointment in God's presence. You don't have to deal with lingering sin in God's presence. Fellowship with God is much sweeter when you're in his manifested presence. What you find in the presence of God cannot be manufactured by man. It can't be concocted in a bottle. It can't be purchased in a bag. It can't be matched by the world or mimicked by the devil. There is nothing like it when you dwell in the deep with God, abiding in him and get in his presence. What you find there is transcendent and incomparable. And that's why Paul said when he was summoned up to heaven, he said, it is far better than anything I've ever seen or experienced before. The unhindered, unadulterated presence of our God. I tell you what happens. When we step into God's presence, we'll find our purpose. We'll realize our potential. It'll change everything about your life. It'll revolutionize church. It'll revitalize soul winning. The scripture will speak with clarity. Prayer becomes a pleasure. It'll revive your spirit when you enter into his presence. There is nothing like it. And if you're not there, and have not been there. You're beneath your privilege as a child of God. David said, it cast me not away from my presence. He said, I might lose a lot of things, but God, I can't afford to lose that. Now, with all the obvious blessings, all the good things that come with being in God's presence, you would think that a Christian would never make the decision that Jonah made to run from the presence of God. But it happens. For any number of reasons, it happens. God wants to make himself known in their life, and they run from God. God begins to move his hand in their life, and they try to flee from God's presence. God begins to speak, and they try to get away from that voice that speaks like none other. God begins to manifest himself in their life, and they try to distance themselves from God. It's like a fish trying to flee from the sea or a sheep trying to flee from the flock. There's no hope or victory from the presence of God. And you find it here in this story. The only way you can go when you run from his presence is down, down, down. Now, Jonah is probably one of the most well-known stories in history, not just Bible stories, but I'm talking about one of the best literary, known literary works in history. Every culture tells its own version of the story of Jonah. It's more than just a prophetic book. In fact, there's not a lot of prophecy in it, uh, so to speak. It's more of a book of the personal experience of this man named Jonah. But though there's not a lot of prophecy, there is probably one of the greatest prophetic signs in the Bible. Jesus references it in the New Testament. Jonah spends three days and three nights in the whale's belly. And Jesus reminded his generation. He said, you're an evil and adulterous generation. He said, you seek after a sign? He said, you'll have no sign but the sign of the prophet Jonah. So it's a good picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I've been studying this little book, only four chapters. And in this book, really, you'll see two things about God. You'll find God's sovereignty, and you'll see God's mercy. All throughout this book, it reminds us God is in control. Isn't that a blessing? But you also find the mercy of God. In chapter number one, God tells Jonah, I want you to 
to cry against the city of Nineveh. But in chapter number 3, he said, I want you to preach unto the city of Nineveh. Isn't that mercy right there? In chapter 1, Jonah rebels. But in chapter number 3, he's resurrected from the belly of that fish, and God gives him a second chance. I'm glad that's who God is. I'm glad God's a God who is in control, and I'm also glad he's a God that shows us abundant mercy. Thank God. He's in, think about it. God's in control throughout. He created the fish. He created Jonah. He created the storm. He created the wind. He makes the fish throw Jonah up. It actually says vomit. It's the only time we can say vomit and get away with it. It's right there in the Bible. Then he throws him up on the seashore. He gives Jonah a message to preach. He saves this entire city of Nineveh. All throughout it shows us God was in control. God is in control. And God shall be in control. It's a remarkable book. Miracles. It's a book of repentance. Jonah repents. Thank God Nineveh repents. But more than that, it's known as this, a book of running. Now, as you come to this opening chapter, Jonah's in an undisclosed location. By that, I mean it does not tell us where Jonah is. But aren't you glad when you're not on the map with man, you're not off God's radar. God knew exactly where Jonah was. God calls Jonah and gives him a commission. God's long-suffering and love shines through in this call. He tells Jonah to go to Nineveh. Now, Jonah's been preaching to Jews and Hebrews in Israel. And now he's going to send him to this Gentile city. Nineveh was built by Nimrod. Nimrod is the same man that founded Babel. Now, at this time, Nineveh would have been a sprawling metropolis, 600,000 people or so. It's the capital of the Assyrian Empire. It's a city that is wrapped in wickedness and is full of idolatry, every kind of sin that you can imagine. They persecuted God's people. They tortured them. They were full of lasciviousness and lust, every kind of sin you can imagine. But in spite of all that, isn't it good? God wanted to see them get saved. Now, that's a good place to say amen. You might not have been in Nineveh physically, but you and I lived there spiritually before salvation. And I'm glad in spite of all my sin, God still extended grace and saved me from hell. Now, you'd think that Jonah would be fired up about that. Could you imagine if God came to you as a preacher and said, I'm going to use you to go to this pagan city. I'm going to let you go to San Francisco. And I'm going to let you preach in San Francisco. And all of those heathens up there are going to get born again. I tell you, you wouldn't have to pump me, pump me or prime me to go preach. I'd race up there. If I had the guarantee from God that if I'd just go, I'd get to see that whole pagan city get saved. Man, I'd run and go preach. But Jonah wasn't that way. When Jonah heard the news that God wanted to spare the city of Nineveh, he gets upset about it. He does an about face. And in verse 3, instead of going east, he goes west. And he runs down to Tarshish to flee from the presence of the Lord. It's more than Jonah running from a city. It's more than Jonah running from a group of people. It's more than Jonah running uh, from an area. He is trying to escape the presence of God. Now think about it. You want to stir up a storm in your life, run from the presence of God. You want to bring trouble into your life, run from the presence of God. You want to bring brokenness into your life? Run from the presence of God. I spent time on purpose telling you, and I didn't even touch the surface of it, all the good things that come from being in God's presence. There's nothing like it. That's why Jesus looked at Martha and said, Martha, calm down. You're all about uh, serving, but Mary's all about worship. She wants to sit at my feet. And he said, here's what that is. That's the good part. He's saying there's nothing quite like just being in the presence of the Lord. Now, you'd think as a Christian, I'd want to set up camp there. I just want to stay there. I want to make that my habitation. The psalmist said, he said, that will show me the path of life, and thy presence is fullness of joy. 
joy. And we already know that we need his presence. We need to know him. We need to get as close as possible. We need his touch on our life, his power on our life. Everything else is hollow and futile. Without it, good things happen in God's presence. Think people get saved in God's presence. Prodigals get restored, right, in God's presence. It's more than just the chime of a church bell or a Bible on your coffee table or a padded pew or a necktie or a Sunday dress. We don't need all that. We must have, I preach on the presence of God. Even those lost sailors had enough spiritual discernment to know that was dumb, Jonah. Why would you run from a God like that? That's why Paul said, quench not the spirit. He said, you might do a lot of things, but better not do this. Don't you silence the voice of God. Don't you ever do anything to make God withdraw himself from you. Make sure you don't quench or straighten the Holy Spirit of God. Why? Why would you want to run from God? Why would you want not, to, not want to be in his presence? Why would you endanger your life and the lives of those around you? What more could you want than to be in his presence? So I want to answer, why would Jonah run? Let me give you three things quickly. Number one, now let me say this first. Logically, if you're going to avoid God's presence, then you're going to want to avoid those spots where you sense it the strongest, right? So the presence of God really means it's the influence of God upon his life. He's trying to escape God's influence, God's, God's voice in his life, God's moving in his life. So why is that? Why would he run? Number one, because in God's presence, it demanded him to change. Look at your Bible. Look at verse number two. Look what it says. Arise, go to Nineveh. i tell you why I think people flee occasionally from the presence of God. Because you won't stay in the presence of God long without God working on your life. Here's what God's doing in Jonah's life. Jonah's going to be taken from where he was to where God wanted him to be. God's agenda for Jonah, first, it is change. He said, I want you to stay in my presence. And to stay in my presence is going to make you move a little bit. You're going to go from Israel to Assyria. You're going to go from Jews to Gentile. No longer are you a prophet. Now you're a missionary. Now, Jonah is going to be the first prophet to ever go to uh, the nation that he prophesied against. You can understand how uncomfortable this would be. What it is is this. Jonah's getting made uncomfortable because God's going to uproot him from what he's known. He's going to uproot him from what he's accustomed to. He's going to uproot him from what he thought was God's plan for his life and he's going to move him into something else. I tell you why people try to flee from God's presence. Because in God's presence he's going to begin to work on your life and change some things that you probably think, I don't want to change that. Let me go ahead and help you with something. If God says to change it, you're far better off to change it than to keep it the way that it is. He's uncomfortable. He doesn't like that. That answers the question as to why folks will flock to places where you do not sense the conviction of God or the presence of God. They want to go someplace where they're not afflicted. They want to go someplace where they're not, they're not uprooted by the word of God. They want to go someplace where there's no kind of challenge or decision to be made. So they say, hey, listen, don't preach it too straight. Don't get too specific on this thing. Let's just kind of make it broad and just kind of be a, a halfway milk toast about the whole situation. I don't want to change anything. Can I tell you something? All of us have areas in our life that would do well to change. I tell you what I like. I like it. I preached at a camp meeting last week, and behind it says, it had that Bible verse about them that love thy law, nothing shall offend them. Now, never should anybody try to preach to offend anybody on purpose. Amen. If the Bible offends somebody, then that's God. You can deal with God. But any kind of an arrogant, just stupid remark by preaching, that's, that's always out of order. Amen. But I want, to pre I want to sit somewhere where the preaching might just offend me. 
Amen. I, where it can work on me. Everybody wants to be pumped and primed and pep rally for Jesus. Man, you know how big of a crowd we could draw if we just had a pep rally every week? I mean, just come in here and let every, every kind of uh, a person imaginable walk in and just make sure that we don't touch anything, don't be absolute about anything, just give a pass to everything, just kind of placate. I mean, just kind of be like, you know what, that's yours and that's it's true. whatever you want to do is fine. I don't want that, man. I need, I need God to work on my life. But I tell you why folks run. Here's why they leave church. Here's why they quit uh, going uh, uh, around folks who want to walk with God. Here's why they lay down their Bible, give up on their prayer life, because God begins to speak. The, and I remember Bill Rice uh, preaching. Bill Rice was John on Rice's brother. And Bill Rice was preaching every night against liquor. And preacher, you shouldn't have to waste a lot of time preaching on liquor because the Bible's plain that Christians don't drink it. So it's not really anything you have to waste a lot of time preaching on. If anybody's saved, they know better than to drink it. Uh, but anyway, uh, Bill Rice was preaching on, preaching on it every single night. And a man came up to him and said, I just wish you'd be more positive. You know, just be more positive in things. He said, I just wish you'd be more positive. So the next night he got in the pulpit and began to preach. And he said, I, tonight I decided to be more positive. And he said, I just want to go on record and say, I'm positively 100% against liquor. And began to preach on it all again. Hey, that's the kind of preaching we need. You say, well, that preaching stepped on my toes. Well, he's probably aiming for your heart. Amen. I think Jonah ran because it demanded a change in God's presence. He was comfortable. He didn't want to get uprooted. Number two, I think in God's presence, here's what happens a lot of times. It delivers a call. A call. You see what it says here in verse number two again? Look what he said. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and what's what he tells him to do? Cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. There's a call to surrender. There's a call to serve. There's a call to win souls. It's specific and straightforward, and it singles out Jonah. It's unconventional. I said a minute ago, he's uncomfortable, and God begins to speak to him and says, Hey, listen, in my presence, I'm going to ask you to do something for me. I tell you why folks don't like the presence of God, because God's going to challenge you to do something. Here's the great thing about living for God and being saved, serving God. Everybody can do something. We don't all have the same spiritual gifts. We don't all have the same talents and abilities. But we all have something we can do to advance the cause of Christ. Every single one of us. Amen. If you're saved, every single one of us. We're a block in the building, fitly framed together. God puts you right where he wants you. The illustration, Paul used it. We're not all the same member of the body, but we're all members of the same body. Amen? Some of us are hands and feet and eyes, and you're all different, but all of us can do something. And I'll tell you why, folks, they say, well, I just don't think I'm going to read my Bible. I don't want to spend time in prayer. I just want to get anywhere where God's presence is too thick because God keeps challenging me to do something. Can I say that's the greatest thing in the world is when God challenges you to do something. It might be something beyond your ability, but hallelujah, that means God can show forth is strength in your weakness. Amen. There ought not ever be a position in the church unfilled because God's got people there that can fill it if they'll do it. Yeah, I had a preacher say something to me the other day. He said, Brother Cooper, I don't understand why God's not calling more young men to preach. And I said, I think God's calling the same amount of men to preach as he ever has. I just think they're ignoring him. I just think they're rejecting it. And a lot of times it's not the young men. A lot of times it's their parents who'd rather than be a, you know, a doctor or a lawyer or a whatever, one of those guys who spins the signs outside of Little Caesars or something like that, then serving God. You can't tell me you're going to sit under preaching and be in a church like this and God not speak to you about serving somehow. It might not be preaching, ladies, it probably is not, amen? It might not be preaching. It might not be teaching a Sunday school class, but it might be something else. There's something you could do around here. Number one, it'll demand a change. Number two, it'll deliver a call. And then number three, and we'll be through, and this is really... The thing that convicted me the most as I studied this, look at this, in God's presence, it'll divulge a character flaw. 
Why would anybody run from God's presence? Number three, it'll divulge a character flaw. Look at verse number three. It says, but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence. He fleed from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare uh, thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Here's what it is in Jonah's life. Jonah's name means dove. You ever been around a dove? You ever seen a dove before? A dove is a very harmless thing. It's something that we associate with peace. Right? Something that's very kind and gentle. Jonah's been parading around as this dove man. That's what he is. Everybody knows him. Jonah, his name means dove. But here's what happens. Whenever God gets really real in his life, it exposes some issues in the heart of Jonah. You have to understand something. Jonah's been prophesying that God is going to destroy Assyria. He's not been a big fan. Amen? He's not been preaching things about how great Assyria is and how he hopes God will save him. Jonah wants God to kill them all graveyard dead. Every single one of them. He wants to see God send his judgment. And so now God says, Jonah, I'm going to have you go preach there to Nineveh, but you're not going to preach judgment necessarily. You're going to preach judgment with an open door of mercy. And I think they're going to repent and get, and Jonah said, man, I don't like that at all. Here's where it exposed in God's presence. It exposed that Jonah was not as spiritual maybe as he might have thought that he was. It revealed some things. It was a spotlight on his character. It kind of told on him a little bit. I tell you what Jonah was, and I'm not being disrespectful. He's an old old-fashioned racist is what he was. Everybody all right? That's exactly what he was. He just wanted the Jews to be saved. He didn't want any of those Gentiles to be saved. You say, we ought not talk about like, I'm just telling you the truth. That's just what he was. He could have cared less. He wished they'd all die. I tell you what he was. He was an emotionally unstable man. Three times in the book of Jonah, he wanted to kill himself or have God kill him. Jonah's walking around like this man who's a dove, but when God got real in his life, it exposed that Jonah had some issues. I'll tell you why folks like it. And I've preached this a few weeks ago. An elephant won't drink out of clear water. Remember I told you that? Because when an elephant looks in clear water, its reflection scares it. It doesn't like to see itself. So he chooses muddy water to drink from because it's murky, can't see his reflection. Churches are like that. Churches that are murky and muddy, the waters, they can reach carnal people. They can reach people that do not want to be challenged or changed, right? Because whenever you get someplace that is crystal clear, it's going to show you some shortcomings in your character. I don't know, maybe, maybe not, but isn't it true every time you go to church, God speaks to you about something that you could work on a little bit? Every single time? That's why Paul said, put on, therefore, dear Lord, black bowels of mercy, meekness, long-suffering, all these things, because we are not naturally wired that way. Not a one of us. You might walk around like a dove, but you're, not, you're a buzzard on the inside. Say amen right there. All of us are. There's not a one of us, we walk around, I'm, uh, uh, wrapped in humility. We're not, humble, um, uh, 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 we're not humble by nature. Everybody all right with that? The thing we like the best is the thing we see in the mirror. Isn't that true? Even with the ugly people in here. That's, you guys are that, cra- you're that crazy. I mean, that's just how it is. I mean... Mercy. We don't show mercy. We show mercy until we're in traffic. And then they cut us off. I tell you the scariest thing, where I, are your, you people with your electric cars, I say you people, now I'm an old-fashioned racist against electric cars. But you almost kill me. Where we live now is everybody has an electric car, and you can't hear them coming up behind you, and you will die from those things. It's hard to show mercy when somebody almost runs over you with a Tesla right? My funeral would be less expensive than their car is. But anyway, we just, mercy. It's not natural. Long-suffering. Is that natural? Long-suffering? 
Somebody sit there and just annoy you for two seconds and you want to let them have it. Long-suffering? How about this? Bitterness, angry, strife, malice, all these things that put it away from you. Bitterness. You know something? You're just as wrong with God as the adulterer, the murderer, the terrorist, the abortion clinic doctor, as any other sinner if you have bitterness towards somebody. You know why folks don't like to sit under Bible preaching that just goes like verse by verse and he breaks it down and says, here's what the Bible says about your bitterness? Because they don't want to give it up. Revive us again, fill each heart with thy love, but not his. I hate that dude over there. Boy, I wish God would show up and bless, but don't bless her, man. She's an old hag. I can't stand her. Isn't that right? They did me wrong. They took my parking spot like in 1973. I hope God never gets real in their life again. But then when God shows up, you know what he does? He shows up. You say, you say I thought you're spiritual. Hey, listen, the more spiritual you become, the more sinful you're going to feel when you get near to God. I found this out. The closer I get to God, the cleaner I become. But the dirtier I feel, some sin doesn't bother me that used to bother me. Big stuff that used to bother me before I got saved. I don't go in a gas station and have any kind of, any, I don't have any kind of, uh, what's the word, temptation to go back there in the section where they sell uh, the alcoholic beverages. I don't have any temptation to do that. Caffeine is my new drug, and I don't need the alcohol any longer. So anyway, I go straight to the energy drink section. That doesn't bother me anymore. But there's still little things that pop up. But here's the thing. Little things get magnified when you're close to God. If you're running from the Lord tonight, that's the worst decision. I think it said like it's $1.3 billion annually that they sell running shoes, Nike and other. Everybody's into running. But spiritually, you and I should just run too. Never run from the Lord. If God's dealing with you about something, don't run from him. That's the worst decision you could ever make. Not only did it jeopardize Jonah, but collateral damage, it could have killed those men in the ship with him. Here's the application. It won't just hurt you, but it'll destroy your home, your family, your church family, your friends. To leave the presence of God. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.